It is a delight to be here. Um, you may not know this, but Covenant College, where I serve, is actually uh, the College of the Presbyterian Church in America. I know it's a surprise that that's not Clemson, but... Um, <laughs> so I bring you warm greetings from the Denominations College that, uh, you know, we don't have a football team, so there you go. But um, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Father, we do ask that you would visit us by your Spirit, that by your Spirit you would lift our gaze to your glorified Son, give us hope, give us courage, soak us in your love. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. I want to begin our time by actually reading for you a text. In the, in, in the bulletin it mentions two texts. But I'm only going to read the first one because I decided I really want you focused on that as background, but the other one will there, I will be alluding to it. But I want to read to you from Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. Hear the reading of God's Word. It's the very end of Luke. Luke 24, 50 to 53. Then he, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So ends the reading of God's Word. May He use it by His Spirit to give life and joy to us even today. Some of you may know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian in the early 20th century. Um, he, he was arrested at one point, you may know this part in his story, and was involved, there's some debate about to what extent, but he was involved with the group which was basically... Um, had come to the conclusion that it, as Christians, they, that Hitler was so destructive and killing so many people as they were getting a, a sense of this, they were involved, he was involved in a plot to take Hitler's life. And as you may know, he ended up being arrested. Their, their plot didn't work. And while he was in this terrible prison where he could literally hear and smell and see the devastation and pain. In that prison cell, he wrote a letter. He wrote many letters, but this caught my attention. Because on June 4th, Ascension Day in 1943. Now this year, Ascension Day happened at the very end of May. So I'm a little late, but I really want to talk about this. So there you go. So June 4th, Ascension Day, 1943, Bonhoeffer wrote a, parent, a letter to his parents. He was, he was older at this point, but he wrote a letter to his parents, and in that letter it contained this statement, and this is what I want you to hear. It said, today is Ascension Day, and that means it is a day of great joy for all who can believe that Christ rules the world and our lives. Think about where he's at. Think about all that's happening in Germany and beyond. 
Today is Ascension Day, and that means it is a day of great joy for all who can believe that Christ rules the world and our lives. And my question for us this morning is, why? Why would he say such a thing? Why might that be true? What's going on here? And so I want to spend our time this morning thinking about three things. I want to talk about unfinished business, unfinished business. I want to talk about a victory accomplished, a victory accomplished, and I want to talk about the divine embrace. So let's jump right in with unfinished business. Before I explain what I mean by unfinished business, we need to look at these last three verses in Luke's gospel, and I want you to notice some things, right? First, notice that as Jesus is speaking to them here, he makes a bodily movement, right? And it describes him lifting his arms or his hands. He lifts his hands, and then it adds, he blesses them. And then it goes on, and again, it's kind of annoying, right? Why be so repetitive? Again, it says, and he blesses them. As the, and he parted and went up into heaven. And the question I want to ask is, what is Jesus doing here? What's Jesus doing here? And there's a lot of background here, and we're going to cover some of it. But I want you to see, to make it simple, that Jesus here is giving a blessing to the disciples. And when we use the language of blessing here, it is the same as what we mean by a benediction. Benediction and blessing in this kind of setting are used interchangeably. And I want us to see why this is so important. So the first thing I want to talk about is the ironic benediction. I didn't say ironic. I said ironic. You know, remember the high priest Aaron? You get what I'm saying? All right, anyways. So the ironic benediction. Any, any first century Jew with their soul, anyone with any kind of background would know this. Here it is. And I'm going to read it to you from Numbers chapter 6. But as I read it to you, my guess is at least the second part, many of you will have memorized it and you didn't even know you had it memorized. Here's what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, thus you shall bless the people of Israel and you shall say to them. So Aaron, you and your, your sons, you're going to bless the people. Here's the blessing or the benediction you will give. The Lord bless you and keep you. Sound familiar? The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then it says, So shall they, the priests, put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That was the ironic benediction. And in Leviticus, it describes that when Aaron would give this blessing, it says in, in chapter 9, that he would lift his arms and bless the people. So that's, that's some background. Now here's, here's another, I'm sorry, I'm a professor, you got to do some work today. So, so hang with me because you're going to do some work, but I promise you if you're with me, the payoff is worth it. So we jump back to Luke's gospel. I told you what the ironic benediction is, what's going on. He lifts his hands, and we read at the end of Luke's gospel. But now I want us to go to the beginning of Luke's gospel. In the very beginning of Luke's gospel, you may remember there is the story of Zechariah. 
He's an upstanding man of God, it describes him. And his wife is described as one of the daughters of Aaron. Remember this story? It's in the very beginning of Luke's gospel. And what you find out about this couple is that she is barren. She's not able to have, they're not able to have children. But in this scene in chapter 1, this is chapter 1, verse 9. This is the very beginning of the gospel of Luke. Zechariah, you find out, is a priest who has this once-in-a-lifetime honor. Not all priests get to. He, he is going into the temple of the Lord to burn incense before God. So what's going on here? And as you read that Zechariah is inside the temple, we are told that the people are outside waiting for him. And one of the things you should be asking is, why are the people waiting why are they waiting for him? But while Zechariah is in the temple, do you remember what happens? He meets someone, right? An angel, an angel from the Lord comes to him, and he says, Zechariah, you are going to have, you and Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. And what does he say? Yes, that's awesome. Is that what he says? He can't believe it, actually. Now, when we read the Bible, because it's so long ago and it seems so foreign to us, you read a story like this, you're like, why wouldn't you believe an angel? What's wrong with you? Are you an idiot? But I can promise you, in a room this size, there are plenty of people in here who have dealt with infertility. And when you've struggled with infertility for a while, the thought of someone telling you, you're going to have a baby now, that can be very hard to believe. The idea of putting your heart out there like that. I think it's actually understandable. He doesn't believe. And so what the angel does is makes him unable to speak. Do you remember that? Now here's what we probably don't recognize. When Zechariah finally comes out of the temple after meeting the angel, after being told this, he is, he, what can't he do? He can't speak. Who's still out there? All the people. What can't happen? He can't give the benediction. Luke's gospel begins with an expected benediction that is not given. It is not given. It is unfinished work. It doesn't happen. And what we find amazingly is at the end of Luke's gospel that we meet another great high priest, the great high priest. Luke's gospel ends the way it began, only now this priest raises his hands and blesses the people. Only now he doesn't just speak of God's face shining upon them. He embodies God's face smiling upon them. Do you see that? He is the embodiment of God's benediction. They don't merely hear the benediction. They see him who is the benediction. They don't just hear the words. They see him who is the word. When people say, these gospels, they're all crazy, they're thrown together, 
they're not. The gospel writers are always doing something profound. And Luke's gospel begins with an unfinished message, unfinished benediction, and ends with him who is the benediction. So second, let's talk about a victory accomplished. A victory accomplished. Jesus shows us he's giving this this blessing. But what are we supposed to believe about it? Right? So if you jump back to the Old Testament, one of the things you find in priestly activities, you you know, we commonly know priestly activity, one of the main things they do is, is offer offerings and sacrifices. They do prayers and they give benedictions. What you may or may not realize is that the sacrifices and offerings were linked with the benediction. The idea was the sacrifices were offered to God and the blessing or the benediction afterwards showed that God had accepted the offering and he was sending them out with his smiling face upon them. Those two went together. So the idea that you would have, and, and you, just as an example, so you know I'm not, in Hezekiah in Second Chronicles, it's that kind of thing, he's restoring the temple worship. They celebrate this massive Passover, if you read about it in Second Chronicles 30, filled with sacrifices and all of this. But in, in the end, you see the priests, the Levites are rising and blessing the people. God has accepted the sacrifices. You are in good standing with him. But without that priestly blessing, you're unsure, you're uncertain. Now, so, so those go together, so that benediction is crucial. The other thing, that's more of the Jewish background. The other thing is, uh, scholars will note that there was, there's some very strong similarities between the end of Luke, but especially in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, just so you know those verses we didn't read, what it does is it rewinds and tells you the story of Jesus ascending in front of the disciples again. But the, the argument is, well, here's, here's the background. In a, in, in a kind of a Roman setting, what you would have is if, if you have a Roman warrior who goes out to battle, if he wins, he's, he's supposed to go out and defeat the enemies And the sign that he is victorious is that he will come back to the city or whatever city he's just conquered. They will mint new coins. I know we don't carry a lot of change these days, whether it's your dollar bill or your coin. But what's on all of those? Right? Past presidents, those kind of... Well, in the ancient world, you put on on the coin, you put the face of who? The Caesar, the ruler. And this victorious warrior would come back and he would go through the city, often on horseback, you know, or on kind of chariot kind of thing, and he would throw out these new massilia, these new coins to the people, representing his reign and rule over them. And People have noted there is something very similar in the beginning, at the end of Luke, in the beginning of Acts, that seems to represent in some ways these two triumphal acts where Christ overcomes the, the enemies of sin, death, and the devil, and then he comes and he distributes gifts. What gifts does he give? 
He gives his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. In, in Acts, the beginning of Acts, where he pours out his Spirit on the people. And as he pours out his Spirit, who is none other than the Spirit of Christ, what does the Spirit do to us? He renews us in the image of Christ. In the image of God, in whose image we were made, the Spirit who is given to us renews and restores us. We have these signs that Jesus is victorious over the enemies of sin, death, and the devil, that Jesus' sacrifice has been accepted, and now as the high priest, he is offering the benediction, and as the conquering king in Acts 1, he will be pouring out the gifts of his Spirit. This takes us to the divine embrace. The divine embrace. Going back to Luke's gospel, when the disciples watched Jesus ascend, it says this, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That's totally weird. People, I'm a, I'm a, a systematic theologian. That's a fancy term for my job is just to get people to read their Bible more slowly, Right? So think about this. You're, we read this text, you're like, oh yeah, that, that makes good. They see Jesus leaving, and it says they're filled with joy, right? So some of you have, college, have high school kids that just graduated, and in September or August, they'll be leaving out of town to go to college, right? Or, or something like that. And when parents are saying their goodbyes, or you have someone from overseas and uh, you know, a family member comes visit you for Christmas or something, when they're leaving, what does the scene normally look like when someone you love is leaving? You're like, yes. Right? When you see that college student driving away and the parents are like, yeah. You're like, okay, this is a little, you know. Anyways, so... Because when there's deep love, often when the person you love is leaving, you're sad. So why does it say they're filled with joy? What's going on here that makes sense of it that doesn't undermine the fact that they seem to love Christ? Well, notice these disciples who received Jesus' blessing, it says they worshipped him. They worshiped him. For Jews, for us, we know it's important. Worship can only be directed to who? To God himself. To God himself. Jesus is ascending and they recognize he's not just a great priest. He's not just a great moral teacher. He is none other than Yahweh who's come to be with his people and who is worthy of of worship. They finally see with the clarity what had been missing before. I know it's a Presbyterian church, but you still may remember this. So remember some years ago um, when uh, Pope Benedict was normally, normally when you pick a new pope, it's because a pope has died, a Roman Catholic pope, it's because one's died and you have to do a new one. This was very unusual. Pope Benedict 
retired, and then they had to pick a new one, which is how you ended up with Pope Francis. But it's funny because when that happens, when there's a, a choosing of a new pope, kind of the world gets a quick lesson in Roman Catholicism. So just to remind you, because it's been a couple of years, but some of you may very well remember this, what happens is all of these cardinals go to the Vatican, go in Rome, and they gather. And every day they gather in a closed room, this big hall. It's completely closed, no media, no, it's all, it's all confidential. And in there they have deliberations and then they vote. And they will keep voting until they have agreement about who will be the next pope. And every day, you remember this, a different color smoke will come up. It's like black smoke and you're like, oh man, they haven't decided yet. And everyone the next day and the next day and CNN and everyone's watching from the outside, right? And then all of a sudden there's white smoke. And no one knows who the pope is. And, and St. Peter's Square is just packed and all the media around the world is there. And you only recognize who the new pope is when finally they come out on a special balcony and he comes out, and it was St. Francis, or not St. Francis, it was <laughs> uh, Pope Francis, and he comes out and he gives a benediction or a blessing to the people. And like, oh, that's who it is. Well, here in Luke and in Acts, we don't have a pope. We don't have a great teacher. We don't have, we have Jesus giving a benediction. And the disciples see with clarity who it is. And what they recognize is he's none other than God and worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning of Acts, you have that story retold. Some of you, if you listen to audiobooks on your phone or if you had an MP3 player in the old days, you remember those? But anyways, some, of, some phone uh, devices still do this. When you push pause and then you do other things and you push play, it actually backs up a few seconds to make sure you didn't miss anything. And that's what happens. At the end of Luke, he has Jesus blessing the disciples and ascending. And then in Acts, Luke, volume, his second volume, he backs up a few seconds and says, tells you the same scene again of Jesus ascending, right, in that scene. And in Acts, what we find, as I've alluded to, as he ascends, you read, that then he pours out his spirit. Because in Acts we find that as Christ ascends, the reason we can be joyful is because Christ is not gone. But he comes to dwell with us and in us by his Spirit. Now this is, I've been doing a lot of work, right? The teacher kind of thing. But what does this have to do with us? You and I facing hard things in our lives questions, wrestling, difficulty. We read about the disciples' joy here. What are, we supposed to, what are you supposed to do when you come to church? Is this the thing? Is it this point in the sermon where I'm supposed to tell you, all right, I know you don't feel joyful now. Mm, try a little harder. Muster up that joy. You can make it happen. Is that what we do? We know it doesn't work that way. So how are we supposed to have joy, 
not in the absence of difficulty, not in the absence of anguish, not in the absence of pain and suffering, but in the presence of it. What does that look like? Well, here's what we find. The blessed one, the Messiah, is the one who embraces us. He is the one filled with the Spirit beyond measure who pours out His Spirit into our hearts and lives. And in this way, He draws us to Himself for comfort and for care. Some of you may know the name Henry Nouwen. In my opinion, he was a, he's from a different Christian tradition, but I think an incredibly insightful uh, Christian thinker in terms of the Christian life. But anyways, now when he, he was, he, I think he was at, he taught at Yale and Harvard, some of these other kind of settings, very accomplished kind of person, and he gave it up, and he moved in, some of you may know the name L'Arche. It's a ministry around the world, these very small communities for people who are, have serious dis, uh, physical or mental disabilities. And there are these small communities, and Nowen gave up his career to go and basically to be a roommate with, because that's how we do it, a roommate with someone who lived there to help them with their severe physical and other needs. And then he also basically ministered to this small community of about 30 people. And in that, in that setting, one day Janet, who, who um, had severe mental um, and other uh, challenges, physical challenges, came up to him and said that she needed, she was having a really hard time, really struggling in various ways, and she needed a blessing. And now, and without really thinking about it, given his tradition, he, he says he, he raised his thumb so that he could start to do the, the cross on her face, and Janet shoved his, his hands away. She looked him in the face and said, no, I need a real blessing. And he, he didn't know, but he said, okay, tonight, at the end of our little service, they do like a little prayer thing at night, we'll give you a, a blessing. And she went away expectant and hopeful. And now he didn't know what that would mean, but he wanted to honor her, and he wanted to, to point her to Christ. And so at the end of the, the service, after he said some things, and after they prayed, he, he, said, he stood up in front of this group of about 30 people, and he said, Janet is really struggling and she feels that she needs a blessing and as he's just framing it he doesn't ask her she just gets up and rushes right towards him and he's wearing a full long robe covering his body and covering his arm his arms and out to his hands and before he knows it Janet rushes right towards him and throws her arms around his waist and he instinctively envelops her and he gives her a benediction something like father Soak Janet in your love. Janet, you are beloved of God. May his smiling face rest upon you. Something like that. He said a few more words, opened his arms, and she looked up with a huge smile and started back to his seat. But then without any, without any before he could do anything else, 
Jane, I think was her name, also in the community, immediately stood up, didn't, came right towards him, same thing, arms around his, his waist, and same thing. Jane, you are beloved of God. He delights in you. You are his daughter. Gave her a blessing. And then as you could guess, one person after another in the community coming for the benediction, for the blessing. But what was so moving is after it was done, when he thought it was over, there was about a 22-year-old student who worked there. He was kind of in the back with a mop watching the whole thing. Not a member of the community. And in the back of the room, he raised his hand and said, can I have a blessing? And no one said, come. And he held the young man and said, you are a child of God, loved by our God. Rest in his embrace. And after whatever he said was done, the young man looked at him, tears in his eyes, and said, thank you. Thank you so very much. Now, why do I tell you that story? My guess is most people in this room have been in church for a long time. But I will tell you, for most of us, it is so hard to believe. It's not hard to believe God loves. It's really hard to believe He loves you. It's really hard to believe He loves you. John Calvin talked about what is faith. Faith is the assurance of God's kind benevolence towards us. Faith isn't believing that God exists. That's not hard. You know what's hard? It is hard to believe that the holy, majestic, almighty God is benevolent, is kind, is gracious to us, especially when we look around our world and our homes and our hearts and there's chaos and there's brokenness and there's hurt and there's disappointment and we are inclined to hear words of condemnation. Take me up on this challenge. You look at someone in the next 24 hours that you know is a Christian, a spouse, a child, your friend. You look them in the eyes. Don't break your look. And you say their name and you say, God loves you, Kelly. God actually likes you and is working in you. Do you know how hard, you watch how hard it is to keep eyes looking at each other. We talk about God's love all the time. It's so very hard to believe. And what I want you to know from today is that every time you come to worship, at the end of the service, when the pastor raises their hands and gives the benediction, I want you to see it's not the pastor. They are a conduit for you to have by the Holy Spirit your gaze lifted to the risen Christ and that you will not doubt God's smiling face when you look at your world, the chaos, the brokenness, and you think, I don't see His love. You can't judge God's love for you based on your circumstances. You can only see God's love by the extent of it seen in Christ and what He did for us, this side of glory. Look to the smiling face of Christ. We expect words of condemnation. 
And he gives words of benediction. Let's pray. Our God, we speak often of your kindness and love, of your compassion and grace, but the truth is, both those who listen and the one who speaks, we find it difficult. Difficult to believe. Would you give us the courage to receive your benediction? To rest in your love? To believe that the sacrifices of Christ have been accepted? That you have been victorious over death, sin, and the devil? That we belong to you? Lord, you know where people are at here. May your grace and love move to the cracks and crevices of their hearts. Those who've given up on you a long time ago, draw them back. Those who are wondering if you're real, open their eyes to your smiling face. Give grace, courage, and peace, we pray. In the name of the risen and reigning King, amen.